Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I got a scan that afternoon and it showed uh, an irregularity on my brain. And they were a little bit cautious. They said at first, maybe you've had a stroke. Um, we're not sure here, we need to have a good look at it. And they, they monitored it for a couple of weeks and they confirmed that, no, nah, this, this is a tumour. Um, so then, then I was rushed into hospital. Don't think I fully really knew at the time the seriousness of what was going on. Sorry, didn't see you come in. Ladies and gentlemen, today's episode is brought to you by me again. Good on me. My Australian tour is right bloody in there at the moment, ladies and gentlemen. It's all happening. We're going absolutely everywhere. We're going to NZ even. We're going to the UK even. We're even going to the United States of America. But before we do that, we're going all over the country. So check out the ticket link below. It's all bloody happening. Let me tell you that. But this episode of the Butterfield Effect is with a Novocastrian legend right from my hometown here in Newcastle in Australia and it is none other than Mark Hughes. Used to play for the Newcastle Knights, also played State of Origin. He was part of the 1997 winning Premiership side with the Knights. But since finishing Rugby League, his life took a very different turn. He was diagnosed with brain cancer, a cancer of which the rate of survival is quite small. But Mark took that in his stride and through his own recovery, he set up a foundation, the Mark Hughes Foundation, which has raised over $14 million to find the cure for brain cancer. This is a great episode. He's a great bloke. So let's go and talk to him. Busy. How you go? Isaac, I'm good, mate. Fantastic. Mate, I, I, the way I sort of structure this podcast is I want to get into the bones of it first yeah. to let people who maybe don't know uh, everything about you yeah. or are not aware of your sort of circumstances in life and all that type of stuff and an idea of what you why you're in here today or what you're talking about I wanted to go back to after footy post footy yeah. uh, your life-threatening event and sort of just let people understand what happened and, and what your family went through and, and your mindset through that whole situation yeah, mate. Well, I uh, felt like life was going along really well. I was 36 at the time, three children under 10. Uh, I was feeling fit, feeling great about things and from nowhere, headache. Um, just for two days, I had this serious headache and uh, went into my doctor's. He said, get a scan. And pretty much uh, it all sort of hell broke loose from there. And before I knew it, I'd had surgery. I was uh, in the doctor's, uh, gone to see my doctor a week after surgery and the doctor simply said, sorry, mate, you've got high-grade brain cancer. Uh, it was tough words. There's no, no cure for brain cancer. And from nowhere, I'd become this um, brain cancer patient. So um, you, the headache, like you were just out of, did you ever have headaches before? There was nothing sort of alluded to that fact? No, definitely nothing like that. I thought, oh, well, this is... Um, you know, maybe this is what a, uh, what's some headaches Migraine. Called? Migraine, yeah, I thought maybe this is a migraine, you know, for two days. So it did knock me around. Um, so it was like a, like a full yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, it was laying in bed, which I'd never do, and 
But I just thought, well, I'll ride it out. It's just a headache. Yeah. Um, and from there, mate, it all just went bang. Now, I've been to neurologists. Um, I've got a form of epilepsy, so I know the whole sort of rigmarole of getting from a doctor to a neurologist. It's, yeah. it's sort of a, it's a period. It's, it's one of these things where you can't ring up and say, hey, mate, you know, yeah. can, you, can you squeeze me in? Because everyone there has got something mm. bad going yes. on, so to speak. How long was the wait between going to the doctors and saying, listen, mate, I've got these really bad headaches to going to see a neurologist? Well, I got a scan that afternoon. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, straight in for a scan. They got me straight in. They did a great job. And it showed uh, an irregularity on my brain. And they're a little bit cautious. They said at first, maybe you've had a stroke. Um, we're not sure here. We need to have a good look at it. And they, they monitored it for a couple of weeks and they confirmed that, no, nah, this, this is a tumour. Um, so then, then I was rushed into hospital. Uh, John Hunter at Newcastle did do an amazing job there. And um, before I knew it, I'm in ward G2, which is a head trauma uh, ward. It's a lot different to a lot of the other wards. Um, you're in there for a serious reason. You know, you've been involved in a high impact collision in a car or motorbike accidents or, or you're getting tumours removed is, is what they do. And the nurses and that do a great, wonderful job in there. Um, I found myself in there uh, surrounded by mostly 60 odd year old blokes, you know, that were getting tumours removed. And there I was, um, I was in there 36. I uh, don't think I fully really knew at the time the seriousness of what was going on. Um, you know, it's like footy, mate. You get injured, you, you shake it off, you do a bit of physio and you get back into it. I think I've had that attitude, but uh, this one was a, certainly a, a long-term injury. What goes through, like, not only your mind, but your wife, Kira Lee's, like, how does the family dynamic change? Is there, is there moments you sit down and you, you're trying to map out what the next move is? How was the, you know, the mental health side of things? Yeah, it's it's a crazy time. I, I think I, I I held it reasonably well together. Um, I think your family, you know, your parents and everyone gets they get affected really bad. I, I think I was um, I was given this situation, and I've got, I've just probably because I was tough enough to handle it. Um, and I think it is really hard on the family. So the first few days, I'd go for walks and I'd be thinking about things, and my my, my mind was spiraling out of control with negative thoughts. And I really quickly realised that I had to start controlling those thoughts because it wasn't doing me any good. It wasn't doing anyone around me any good. So I had to pull my pull myself together and um, get ready to take this thing head on. Mm. And mm. how does one, how do you prepare for a situation like that? Like, is there anything that happened in your life earlier that you think maybe gave you a bit of a, a bit of a like a, you know a step forward rather than uh, other people who may have been unable to handle such a situation? Well, I had, um, the 36 years leading to this event, I felt like I was in training. Whether it was at Curry, as, a, as growing up, I had a great upbringing in Curry Curry. Um, you know, everything was a struggle. I loved footy, I loved cricket, I played sport, but it was a struggle for me and I, I worked really hard at it and I never give in. You know, I just kept going and going at my dream of being a rugby league player. Um, so I felt like uh, those types of traits really have helped me in this situation and then uh, I eventually, um, you know, made it into the, the Newcastle Knights and spent 10 years as a professional footballer. Well, I spent a lot of my time uh, doing charity stuff. You know, I'd be doing, uh, for the club, I'd be going and visiting sponsors and, and hospitals and doing all this stuff and building up this amazing network of people, you know. I, I knew everyone. And that was through years of, of giving and doing good things in the community. And 
it's that, that type of stuff has been paying me back in, in shovel loads um, when I'm now in this situation. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to, like, for my own understanding of people watching, where, where does your mind go when you give a news like that? Like, when I went to the doctors with my, my issue, uh, he said to me, we're not sure what it is. He said, you could be one of those people who are in a wheelchair and they, the, his, his, his exact words were, you know, people yeah. in wheelchairs that are like that. Yeah. I said, well, that's what you think is going to happen to me. He said, maybe. Yeah. I was like, oh, fuck. Wow. Okay. <laughs> this is on my 21st birthday. So I'm like, okay. Wow, so my mind's going wild. Yeah. Uh, what do you, like, what do you do with your time? You said you went on walks. Yeah. Like what? I think, I think you mainly think of your kids and your wife. Um, just think of the life that you had ahead of you and that potentially could be torn apart. Yeah. Uh, through one diagnosis, through one headache. Um, so you, you start thinking of those things. You start thinking of your kids turning 18, uh, you know, going through high school. You think about them, their, their, their weddings and marriage and kids and you just want to be a part of all of it. And you just start to think to yourself that this is in a real threat of missing some really important stuff. Mm. So, yeah, your mind does spiral out of control, you know. You've got a wife, you don't want to... You know, you're the provider of the family. You want to, you want to stick around. So all those things come flooding, um, flooding in. Yeah, it's it's a tough, tough thing to digest. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So you go in for surgery. Is yeah. it almost immediately you go in for surgery? Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, up at John Dunn Hospital, uh, tumor removed. I've what was the process of the surgery, just for people? Um, well, uh, sort of just um, you know, it's their big. Uh, Big cut through the head. It was, a, it was a, I don't know, I can't remember, maybe a six-hour operation. Or, I remember I remember being in the bed ready to go and there was a couple of other things <coughs> went down in the ward so they couldn't get to me for about 24 hours. So I pretty much was laying around for a day waiting to get in, couldn't eat. It was just the, the build-up, you know, mm. and you, people sitting around. You know, it was, I just wanted to get in and get it done. Um, so I went in and um, I got it done and then got delivered the news a week later that, this is serious, this is high-grade brain cancer. You sort of got that little hope that it um, was going to be a low-grade and, you know, and the doctors are saying don't get grade three or four. Uh, you don't want to get that one. Well, I got grade three. So it was, it was tough news to digest. Um, I then went straight into radiation down the central coast. So I would uh, get a lift. I couldn't drive for eight months. So I was getting mates, um, family to drive me down every day. So we'd drive to the central coast. Every day? Uh, yep. I'd get put in a mask, get my treatment, and then I'd come home. Um, that was 33 sessions. So that was, um, that was interesting, catching up with some mates that I didn't normally catch up with. I think I shouted 33 lunches at the twin servos there, starting to add up the costs. <laughs> the regular. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just had a bit of time to think in the car, having a chat. I'd get under the mask. It'd only take about six or eight minutes. You'd sit under there. So what, what is the mask? What is that? Uh, it keeps your head so still so that the radiation can get a pinpoint spot okay. where they say so you don't move and you're in this, it's shaped as your face and it staples you down. Right. And you're down in that and you're just laying there for about six or eight minutes. So I was trying to, you know, imagine good things and, and thinking positive uh, in that time. Um, that's got to be a horrendous thing to do. Just like, because I've had MRIs and if anyone's had an MRI in the head, it's the worst yeah. thing. Like you've been there for like 40 minutes with an yeah. MRI, but you've got yeah. nothing to focus on. 
That's yeah. what threw me out. Mm. It's like your eyes just start wondering and you yeah. just start freaking out. Yeah. You start worrying. Was that? Yeah, so I had to focus on things. <laughs> so I'd, I, would talk, I would think about stuff and positive stuff. Yeah, and, um, yeah. I think at the time there was like flowers and colours on the on the ceiling. That helps. You can see. So that was nice. So I'd, I, that was sort of a help. And um, I would then come home and I'd train. Former teammate of mine, Ben Kennedy, we, we used to do some running and some swimming because I wanted to try and get great results and I wanted to do stuff that other people weren't doing. So I felt rather than go home and, and feel sorry for yourself and roll around in the lounge, I need to get out and, and get moving. And I'm pretty grateful, thankful that I did that. I think it was a good thing. You, th- you feel like the physical activity side of things helped yeah. not only yeah. like physically but yeah, probably mentally. mentally as well. Yeah, and I was trying to eat the right foods and just trying to do everything I possibly could to um, you know, to get back on the field, I guess, if you mm. want to put it in footy terms. Yeah, yeah. Um, and to stay out on the field. So that's sort of what I was doing. I had that mentality of getting myself right, getting as quick as I can and just getting back on with it. Was there, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people or a few people maybe they've got someone in their family that's suffering from a similar condition or, or they went through something themselves or they're going through it at the moment who are watching this. What type of foods were you eating? Were you, were you focusing on certain vitamins or all that type of stuff? Yeah, so I, I got some advice and you take some information in, you take it out, you take little bits that you like. Uh, I was trying to have dinners that uh, do not require a lot of digesting, like big lumps of steak and that at night. When, the, when my body was sleeping, I wanted it repairing and, and concentrating on repairing here, not concentrating on digesting food. So I'd try and have uh, vegetables and lighter stuff, fish and that at night so that um, my digestive system wasn't um, controlling my sleep. Um, I've, I've had some uh, vitamins in, a mo- in the morning. Uh, you know, I did little different things here. Look, there's no medical cure to what I'm doing, but mm. it just makes me feel better, makes me feel healthy. Uh, I was having um, green, you know, green shakes, making up concoctions and doing all that stuff just to give myself every chance. Because a lot of people in these situations, they go for the whole sort of, well, not a lot of people, but mm. you hear about people who go for the natural approach to treatment. Whereas perhaps that's a good thing to do to, you know, put yourself, your body in a nice place, but you also need the medical intervention. I think that's very clear yeah. from a lot of people's recovery is that the medical intervention is very important, but yeah. to give your body yeah. the right opportunities... You just put some good petrol in your vehicle, Absolutely. don't you? Yeah. Um, and I've got full faith and trust in the medical team. Um, I'm getting looked after really well. And, you know, they say that the, the radiation treatments are much better than they were 10 years ago, which gives me faith that, you know, I could have got better treatment than what someone was. So I'm not comparing myself to anyone else. Mm. Um, I'm just, just focusing on my own journey. I'm not worried about the stats. Um, you can go and Google it and look it up and that. It's, it's damaging seeing all that stuff. So I don't never bother looking at all that. Hmm. Yeah. So what uh, what was the side effects side of things with with you know with uh, chemo with radiation therapy? Mm. You often hear about yeah. people you know they lose their hair, they yeah. feel extremely sick, they're lethargic, those type of things. Did you have um, much of that? I had a bit of loss of hair um, from the radiation. The chemo is in tablets, so you take four tablets I think a day for five days or something. Then you have a rest for the rest of the month. I did that for six months. That's how we did the chemotherapy. I felt a little bit tired in that, but to be fair, I was in good, I was going well. Yeah. I was start, took up yoga, so I was feeling really good doing the yoga. So I had a really good run during the treatments where I, I felt really good, had no real side effects. Um, I, you know, I couldn't drive a car for eight months, you know, I didn't, didn't have a beer for six or eight months, just little things like that. But uh, really, I had a good, good run, mm. yeah. 
And your reaction to the whole thing was not only getting yourself right and healthy and beating this illness, but it was also setting up a foundation. Yeah. Um, so my amazing wife, Kira Lee, and I pretty much were in the recovery bed there at John Hunter. We knew that we had to do something and we knew we had to change our purpose in life. And it's so important. What is your purpose in life? You know, what gets you out of bed? Well, we certainly now have a real clear purpose and that is we need to find a um, cure for brain cancer. For myself and so many others out there, it's crystal clear our purpose and life's really good because of that. So we changed our purpose and we, we decided to start a foundation. It would have been easier to probably just sit on the lounge and grab some popcorn and hope someone um, is going to find an answer, but I don't think that was going to happen. So I needed to get out there and we needed to do it. Mm. And we've got a can-do attitude and we just did. We just got out there surrounded by amazing support. Um, you know, I had a big head start because of my footy career. Uh, it certainly opened up a lot of doors for our, for our charity. So that was a good, good kicker for us. Mm. And you're raising, like I read the other day, I can't remember how much the amount was, but last year you raised, I think the technical term is a shit ton of money <laughs> for, for finding this cure. What, what, yeah, you're, yeah. You're, the beanies for brain cancer, is that your big uh, Yeah, that's, that's the big that's thing. That's the mate. big thing. Yeah, that's the big thing. And I wore a beanie during my rehab and we just thought beanies and brain cancer, I just thought this, is, sure. this has got to work, this. So we decided the first year that we would – uh, get schools to do a beanie day locally here in Newcastle and they would bring a gold coin donation and they'd, just, they'd wear their favourite beanies. And then I decided to, uh, we decided let's make our own beanies, give that a go. So we come up with our first beanie. Do you, do you want to know what the colours were? What were the colours? Red and blue. Beautiful. Oh, I love it. What a master Go They sold well in Newcastle. Absolutely. No Nowhere else. else. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first year. We sold about 5,000 beanies. Yep. Um, we thought we've got a, we've got something here we can work with this. Um, we felt like people got everyone loves wearing a beanie. Yeah. Um, you're making a donation, um, and then the next year I think we went from five thousand to thirteen thousand beanies sold. So we were we were heading in the right direction. But where it really took off was when um, you know the NRL came in and and joined us uh, in what we're doing, and um, that's where it just it's just all skyrocketed from there and. It's just uh, I think people believe in our cause and they want to be part of it and it's a bit like you're in a club. You know, you walk around, you see the beanies, you, you give someone a wink and a wave and, you know, uh, you, you're all part of something and it's pretty special to uh, to see, you know, to be driving around Newcastle and see the beanies or, or down the central coast and you see a beanie or you're in Sydney or you watch the, the footy at night and you'll see, a, you'll see a beanie in the crowd every time. Mm. Um, it's, it's special and it certainly gives me... Um, motivation and inspiration to, to know that we're doing a good thing here and that people believe in what we're doing. To go back to what you said before, to actually see something like a change that you want to see uh, being the cure and rather than sitting back and you know waiting for someone else to do it, to actually put the work in, as you said, with your wife, yeah. to go out there and do that, put the things in place to do that and not just in one year but over a period of time. Yeah. I think that a lot of people need to sort of like listen to that with, with a lot of things. And as you said, with purpose, there are a lot of people out there and we've spoken about this in, our, in other podcasts about yeah. mental health and, and all those type of things. There are a lot of people living without purpose. Yes. Did, you, did you find a difference in your life post-football uh, yeah. and post the, the, the scare uh, with your own, not just mental health, but your purpose in life and, and finding something to wake up for yeah. every day? Yeah, like... Um 
for 10 years there, I had a clear purpose as well. You know, it was to, to win rugby league games and give your very best uh, for your town. And that was a special thing to be a part of. And, you know, I had your dad as a mentor and right next to me for the first five years of my career. And, you know, I was very lucky when I came in to have blokes like your dad, uh, Paul Harrigan, Mark Glanville, just senior guys that I had the most respect for. And to have them as leaders for me as I came in was a huge thing. And I had this clear, amazing purpose and I had, tw I had 30 best mates around me. It was a special thing to, to be involved in. Uh, when I finished, I um, felt a little bit lost, but I, I, went in, I, had, a, I had a business and I, st I then got another team around me and I was actually quite motivated and um, you know, quite focused on that as well. So I've been pretty lucky that there's been stages in my life, 10 years of footy, six or eight years of business, uh, where I had these really pretty great purpose and focus. Um, and then, um, and then the foundations come in. Um, now I, I'm a, you know, I'm a full um, volunteer for the foundation, um, and it's hard to beat the, the, you know, the volunteers that we've got. You know, it's so overwhelming all the support we get. Um, we have three or four part-time amazing um, team that they get paid part-time. The rest is run on volunteers, so it makes it pretty special. Sure. So I am lucky. Uh, I am lucky and you need to rethink your purpose, uh, what, you know, why are you getting out of bed and it's not necessarily about your work, um, it's something, far, your purpose is generally something bigger than, than just your job, you know, it's something that, what, what are you about, what, what, what's getting you out of bed, what motivates you and, um, you know, you've just, and I also find that um, what cho you know, the choices, if you're not happy, are you making the same choices? Do you, need to, do you need to change the choices that you're making in your life? I had the choice when I got diagnosed. And I, I took the right choice, you know. I had the choice when I was 16, 17. I could have partied and done, but I chose to focus and, and get on. So your choices uh, is your future. That's, that's what I like telling people. And you need to think about your choices. And are you making the right choices? Because, you know, if you want to know your future, you just think about your, cho your choices now because they will, they will shape where you end up. And I've, I've made the right choices in, in most things that I've done. And not all the time. We, we all make mistakes. And I don't think we should be scared either of making mistakes because, um, you know, we, we, we all do that. And we just got to, you just, the, the real champions keep going, you know, when the chips are down. And that's the other thing that I would advise as well. I, th I think a lot of people who are, uh, they feel stuck in their environment. I think a lot of things with, with mental health and, yeah. and, and which is a massive issue across, across the globe, yeah. <clears throat> not just in Australia, but the, th the thing is with those people is a lot of the time it's environmental, whether their workplace is shithouse, whether their relationship's terrible, maybe they're surrounded by the wrong people. And it's not just, I guess, with mental health. It's also with pursuing something that you want to do, whether it's a, a dream. For you, it was football. Mm. For me, it's stand-up. Yeah. You know, the pe sometimes the people you're around are not, maybe not bringing you down, but not allowing you to sort of yeah. reach for these things you wanted to do. Like you wanted to be a footballer. And you had to fight for that. You had to train for that. And I know I, I remember hearing a story, I think, when was it? Maybe, was it 90, what, what year did you debut? In the, uh, 97. 97, yeah. yeah. And you weren't, was it the year after you weren't uh, in the side? You weren't picked in the side or you, you were forgotten <sighs> about? Um, yeah, so in 1996, I finally made it to the Knights 21s. Uh, I played all my juniors at Curry Curry. Couldn't get a look in for 17s and 15s and 19s. Finally get in there in 96, play a year in 21s. So I thought I had a good year. I had a solid year uh, and was hopeful of a trial for not the 1997 season. But I was sitting at home one night in November in 96 and on came the NBN News. 
Good old micro bit reads the news, and there it was. The night start training, start their campaign, and I wasn't there. And I'm like ringing up saying, "Well, I thought I was getting the trial." So I could have probably just went, "Oh well," and and rang the curry coach, and I could have been back at curry, <laughs> but I wasn't willing to do that. And I, I made the calls, and I got that trial. So um, you've got to chase your goals, and you've got to bang the doors down, haven't you? Yeah. Um, you know, and like like you say, even with yourself, like, you know, you believed in yourself, you probably told people what you wanted to do. Some of them might have laughed at you. Well, you want them to laugh, don't you? Well, in certain respects, not yeah. laugh at you. Yeah, uh, but like, yeah, I yeah did. you know what I'm saying. Man, yeah. I had that. I had yeah. people who, and I still do, people who tell me I'm not funny or you're not going to mm. achieve that. You've got to have these aspirations and you've got to go after these things. And Yeah, the one person that needs to believe in you is yourself. And 100%. if you do that, everything else will work out. Don't be... Don't run your life on what people think and what they tell you. You just run your own show and believe in yourself and you can do whatever you want. And it's not this thing where, you know, you believe and you'll achieve it. You have to put these things in place. You have to be treating it like a job. Like to become a professional footballer, that's a job well before you make money from it. It's the same with stand-up. You know, you've got to put your apprenticeship in. You've got to do the shit gigs. You've got to do the hard training. You've got to play in the rep sides. You've got to do the five-minute sets in yep. Sydney and drive home and all that type of stuff. To eventually get to the point where you win a comp, I think um, I think if you if you're bold enough to follow your passions and just focus on your passions, the profits will come mm. and the, and the money will eventually come. <clears throat> but it's just being game enough and bold enough to continue to fight and follow those passions. But you only get one crack at life, and it's so fragile, and things can change like that. So if you can live a life where you're following your passions, and you know, you're going to live such a ha- much happier, fulfilled life. But it's not always easy. I understand that. But I just I would say to people there, try and follow those passions because life it may change tomorrow. You know. Yeah, and and yeah. death is always so close. You see people who who lives whose lives end in a car crash. You yeah. know, they woke up that morning thinking, oh, yeah. here's another day of doing whatever, yeah. and all of a sudden it's over. You got to treat every single moment you have as an opportunity to better yourself, better your family and put forward something into this world. It doesn't have to be like, you know, you don't have to change the world, but just do something good or, or change yes. your own sort of existence to, to, to be something positive. I wanted to ask about, because everyone sort of asks ex-footballers about this sort of thing. What do you think about the current state of the game in comparison? No, I'm not talking about toughness or any of that, that type of thing. I'm talking about everything that players are doing at the moment between when you were playing in the late 90s, early yeah. 2000s to, to now. I played in a, in a great time. Your dad probably tells you all the time as well. Just a great period, you know, for rugby league. It was professional. Uh, for me, it was when I came in. Uh, you know, there was a real love of the game. Um, we didn't have the social media issues that the current day players have. Uh, well, not just players. I think there's a so- social media for any kids. You know, I've got kids and they play their um, Xboxes and I didn't have any of that. Uh, and then as a rugby league player, we came in, we were great mates, we, we loved our rugby league, um, and I'm very blessed and grateful that we played when we did now. Would I like to play now? Yeah, of course I would. I'd love to play. I'd love to, you know, I'd still love to play. But I'll tell you what, they're amazing athletes, you know. They're, they're a bit bigger, they're stronger. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's, it's tough footy, you know. Mm. Probably at times lack, lacks, lacks the... Uh, the flair and the unpredictability of the old days. You watch some of those old videos on Fox and that, and you see some of the the balls get fanned from one side to the other, and it's it's quite refreshing to see that. It's a, it's a different game now, but it's still a great game. I still love it. 
Um, but certainly glad I had my run when I did. I, I've lost a bit of interest in footy as I've gotten older. Yeah. I think since the... Uh, you just don't see the characters that you used to. This yeah. fear that players seem to have of being outspoken. Like I think rugby league is dying for someone like a Conor McGregor, someone who goes <laughs> out, calls out people from other teams, talks mad shit and brings people to the games. I think having people so reserved and so terrified of being punished by the club, I think it's, I think it's detrimental to the, to the game. I mean, I don't know if you see it the same way. I just would love to see yeah. that. I think it can be a bit robotic at times, um, whereas, you know, front rollers would call out each other and it was a real us versus them um, back in the day. Um, and you, you did have more characters, you know, probably that could express themselves a bit more in the media and stuff. And, yeah, like you say, like a Conor McGregor, you know, just awesome. Mm. Um but it's funny, then sometimes people will express themselves in their media and they probably get knocked and, and bagged a little bit as well, on the other hand. So um, I like seeing people expressing themselves. And, you know, someone like a, like a Paul Gowan, he mm. says what he thinks. And whether you like it or not, he's creating opinion and discussion. And I admire someone that's not afraid to just say whatever they're feeling, you know, in front of the camera. Because um, it's better than the cliche, yeah. you know, we'll be back to training on Tuesday and we'll, we'll do it for the boys. and. Whereas there are some, there still are a few out there that are quite honest and, and they give you a, an honest rundown rather than just the cliche. I mean, there's, there's, I think uh, Phil Gould was saying the other day, uh, talking about injuries, talking about uh, brain injuries as well. There's a problem now with CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which seems to be something that people are terrified of. Maybe they don't really understand it. From my understanding, it's more to do with, uh, we're talking about concussions here, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Talking about subconcussive injuries, that repetitive, uh, almost like uh, RSI in the wrist, that yeah. repetitive strain of the brain hitting the skull. Yeah. Is, is that something you think will, was that something obviously you ever thought about? Was that something that you think players should think about? And would you put your kids into a, a rugby league game knowing the risks? Yeah, I would, yeah. My kids play and they wear headgear. Um, and I applaud the, 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 the research and that it's going into it now so we can try and learn more about it. Um, yes, I had some head knocks over time, um, but I, I feel quite good and I, I knew the risks because uh, I love the game and I wanted to play. So I could only, if, if I did have any real issues, I'd be the only person I'd, I'd to blame. I wouldn't be looking to lay the blame on anyone. I just think that when you play rugby league, you know it's a collision game, you know it's tough. Mm. Um, but amongst all that stuff, is it's, it's a great game to play and, you, and you've got mateship and, you know, you learn about dedication and commitment and consistency and all that. So I love having my kids play a team sport, mm. whether it's rugby league or soccer or hockey, it doesn't matter. That's what you've got to weigh up is, is, is the benefits outweigh the risks. And I think for yeah. a lot of the people, it does. Yeah. I, I'm so happy that I played, even though I put up, you know, all these risks with, with having these head knocks. I mean, uh, and it's no one else's fault. It's not the other player's fault that hits you high or whatever. That's just a part of the game. It's not the uh, people who are running the game. It's not the NRL's fault. It's the fault of the game in general, the yeah, sport. And it's the same right. with MMA, the boxing, all that type of stuff. All the great sports have that risk. And if you want to make the cash, you've got to take the risk. And I think it's the collisions and the physicality of the, the, that brings the crowds in. 100%. And what we're like, that's why you'll never see, um, you know, 40,000 to a touch football game. Yeah. You know, because it hasn't got that physical 
that's 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 what brings people to the the, the excitement it's of the, the gladiator collision. sport. Yeah, that's right. So that's what makes our sport what it is. And I know it's, there's a bit of a negative to it, but I think that the the positives much outweigh. And I understand why the NRL would ban things like uh, fighting and, and make it more you know uh, more marketable to to young families yeah. and they don't want to have big uh, shoulder char- charge collisions. Although I disagree with th- those rulings. I think that a sol- shoulder charge is definitely a legitimate tackle. And I think fighting is one of the best parts of the game because <laughs> it, it gives a, if you were a winger, you know, you see a lot of wingers running into front rowers uh, now and they'll hold them and hold them by the collars. Yeah. Would you have ever done that back in the day to say like a, a Mark Carroll? Or, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, so I think, People know they're protected now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I know a lot of people love the, the fisty cuffs and all that stuff of the past. But look, we're, and I'm not saying I didn't enjoy seeing it either, but I guess uh, with society now, we've probably got to move on and um, we want kids playing our game and there's a lot of other options for kids out there. So, and we want the parents getting them into our game. So they're, they're steps that had the, 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 the league see had to be taken. I suppose they're the right call, but like you say, you, as a kid, you, re, you remember watching Origin and you'd see the early... No one would usually get hurt. They're just throwing haymakers. Mm. and it was, a, it was a good part of our game back in the day. I know you're a professional and you've got to give a good answer to that. But bring back the biff. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so beanies, brain cancer, the cure. How, how is that moving forward? What is the research that's going on at the moment? We have research at the, uh, the HMRI here in Newcastle. We have research at the Royal North Shore in Sydney. We have some collaborations going on around Australia. We have uh, researchers doing um, a lot of um, like uh, left field type research. We've got about seven um, grants that we handed out this year. Now, what were they called again? Uh, just had a mind blank here. Innovation grant. We've got about seven or eight that are doing innovation. Uh, we think that the answers may come from a bit left field, something you're not quite expecting because uh, it's a tough nut to crack brain cancer. So mm. we feel we need some smart, big thinking researchers. Where is that research? Us. Where is that research? Yeah, they, like, what they, are the left field things that you think might be? Yeah, look, they um, there's uh, immunotherapy where it's your own system fighting the disease. And, <clears throat> and look, I don't pretend to know heaps about no, it. You know? Not at all. And I've got a scientific committee that are about... 10 pe- amazing people that they meet and they, they steer and decide where our funds go. So it's their job to, to find the best um, the best research um, that's going to get the, us the best bang for our buck and get the quickest, best outcomes and answers um, so that people like myself and other people out there have got hope and that we can hope that for better treatments and, you know, and, a, and we're our end goal of, of a cure. Um, the other big thing is uh, brain cancer nurses at John Hunter Hospital. We've got two of them. They've been amazing. Um, they meet you at the door. They book your appointments. They go into your appointments. They they go to your house. They do everything. It's that and in brain cancer, it's pretty ner- a scary place to be. So that that's an awesome thing. We're doing Mount Kilimanjaro in October. There's 20 trekkers, and we're going to raise funds. And that the way and that'll be to add some more brain cancer nurses throughout our regional New South Wales. So. Um, Port Macquarie, um, Coffs Harbour, Foster, Tamworth, they're all going to benefit. So if there's anyone out there, uh, get on the Mark Hughes Foundation website and each trekker, uh, we have our own Everyday Hero page and people can chip in for our trek, chip in so that we can uh, raise money. So that's the big thing we're doing. Yeah, beautiful. So tell me about Kilimanjaro. What's the, what's the training like for that? What, you, what is the d- ascent like? 
Well, it's uh, it's about six thousand odd meters above sea level, which is. If you, I went to base camp Mount Everest. Yeah, that was right. five thousand three hundred. This one's another one thousand meters up, so it's the altitude. And there's this uh, red hot gym, air locker uh, gym, altitude training in Newcastle has just opened up. So I've just started going to that. I did my first session today. So I trained at three thousand five hundred meters today. So they they they, yeah, they right. fix the air up and so you're like you're up there. So, so they suck suck the oxygen yeah, out, yeah, right? Yeah. What's that and like? How does that? Tr- oh, it just makes it a bit harder, but it's it actually felt really good doing it. Yeah, right. So I'd highly recommend people giving that a go. It's yeah. it's good, but it's good for us too because we're going to be going into those high altitude areas. But you don't really know how your body's going to handle it. It's it's a tough one. So you can be the fittest person there, but the altitude might knock you around. Mm. So. Um, yeah, it's going to be a tough one, but we want tough challenges because um, people with cancer, they, they face tough challenges every day. So we need to do a tough challenge. Um, I'm taking uh, Denny Madeira's old teammates coming along. Uh, was, tra- book, was booked in to be on the podcast today. Oh, he might be training. Where are you? Yeah, busy? he might be training. <laughs> um, and uh, Trent Robinson, the Roosters coach, is going to join us, which I'm excited about that. Brad Godden, an old Knights legend, Steve Crow. So, uh, yeah, mate, it's, uh, it's I love doing these challenges because we raise money. And also gives you personal gain by, by setting challenges for yourself. You mentioned Everest. What was happening over there? Take take us through what went on during. So you went to base camp. Yeah, base camp. Yeah, what a what an amazing thing to do. I would tell anyone if you get the opportunity to go do it. You know, it's a really special thing to do. It's it's, it's really good. And we got to the um, base camp, and uh, then then we went to back. We got to base camp. We all celebrated. There was thirty. 28 of us, we went, how good is this? The odds of everyone getting there was, a, that's awesome. And then we went back to our rooms and then a few a few of the guys got really sick. They started one vomiting and had to lay down, had to get the gas chambers, the chambers on them, um, oxygen chain, you know. And um, it was a real panicky time for about four or five blokes uh, for a couple of hours, yeah. So that's altitude sickness? Yep, yeah. And you take tablets and that, but... Some people would just get you worse. <laughs> so yeah, it's inter- it's always interesting. We had to get them helicoptered off the next day, and oh, that, really? they were fine after that. So um, yeah, it's it's a challenge, and it's it is serious. You know, to think that we're going another thousand meters higher than that is, uh, you know, I better get training. Yeah, well, I mean, with with Everest, I think there's a problem at the moment with people actually dying up there because there are so many people trying to get to the summit. That there are lines to yeah. the point. I saw a photo the other day. There's a line, maybe 400 people, maybe maybe not 400, maybe 150 people long. Yeah. And people are spending so much time at the summit because they're actually waiting in line to get to the top. So they're dying. Yeah. Waiting in line. So we we went to base camp. Yeah. If you're crazy enough to go to the top, base camp's like your home for about four weeks just to get ready to go right. to the top. Base camp's a tough thing in itself, but if you're going to the top, you're you're a serious. Dude, because it's a, <laughs> it's a tough. I, yeah, I couldn't have, at this point in my life couldn't imagine doing that. There was Wim Hof. I think I don't know if he went to the. I don't know if you know Wim Hof, but yeah. he uh, went to the. I don't know if it's the top, but he certainly went to base camp in shorts. In shorts. He's uh, he's the Ice Man. He I think does I heard the, the story. Yeah, Wim Hof. Have he you does no shoes or no, yeah, no shoes. Uh, just in shorts, no shirt, and he has this breathing method, which is basically flooding your body wow. full of oxygen. And that was his big thing. He has holds all these records of being submerged under ice. And I think he swam underneath Arctic ice to the point. Like, he set a world record. And he's, wow. uh, I think his retina froze. And he couldn't work out where he was. He couldn't get back through the ice and only just somehow got out. Like, he's batshit. 
this yeah. guy, but he yeah. really believes in his breathing method and all wow. that kind of stuff. It's uh, it's incredible to think that you know something so tough as to get to base camp was this dude who's on a whole different level to a lot of people yeah. uh, was able to do that. Basically it's nude. It's quite funny. Some it, it, it can be really nice weather. So you're in shorts and a shirt most of the way. Oh, really? Yeah. Then, but then there, there's some really cold. But you got the jackets and gloves on. It's, it changes all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's good. And so how how are you doing uh, as far as med- medically speaking? Uh, so I have scans every four months. Uh, that's how I live my life now. Um, hopefully, um, it's a good problem to have because I know the, the alternatives. Um, so I go to Sydney every four months. <coughs> I get scanned. I get the results, and I come home. So everything's going fabulously well. Uh, maybe I'm uh, meant to stick around a bit longer and and try and sort this problem out. Um, I'm having a good run. Um, gee, I meet some people that get hit hard and. Uh, and they get hit really fast, you know. They might get diagnosed in eight months, twelve months, fifteen months, and it's just catastrophic. Mm-hmm. This, you know, this disease. So, so yeah, there's a there's someone looking out for me at the moment. So I've got to keep riding that wave and um, keep making a difference, um, helping people, helping myself, and um, see what happens. Because I got a feeling that something special is just around the corner. I guess that's a great way to wrap this up. If you could look at that camera and give the best plug you can for everything that you're doing right now, where people need to go, because we need to get behind the Mark yeah. Foundation. Yeah, we'd love your support, you know, and we have raised a lot of money, but we need so much more, you know. Too many people are dying in their prime and families are just getting torn apart. So if you could, please get on the Mark Hughes Foundation website or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. And yeah, just follow us because we need your support. There'll be beanies next year. Maybe you can host a beanie day or there's lots of things you can do. And I know there's a lot of amazing charities out there. Um, there sure is, but um, we certainly are someone that needs some help. So, yeah, we'd love to uh, see your support. Thanks, Izzy. Ah, pleasure. Thank you Thanks, very Isaac. much. Mark Hughes, ladies and gentlemen, absolutely fantastic guest, even though he's still staring at me, which makes this exit from the show very awkward. But here's the thing, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, make sure you hit subscribe, go and check out all the Hughes' stuff as well, doing a fantastic job with his charity. And uh, what else, Connor? What else we need to tell people? We need to tell people a lot of different things. iTunes, Spotify. iTunes, Spotify. Go and check us out there and rate us. If you haven't rated us, the best rating that we get, I'll do something with. I'll come to your house. I'll cook you dinner. I don't know. I'll do something with you. Something weird. Who knows? Well, just, let's just see what happens. Doesn't matter. And subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. And I'll see you all very soon. Toodaloo. Bye. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.